Top of the morning to ya. Stole the thunder. I figured you'd become accustomed to hearing Scottish and Irish accents the last two weeks. I heard how much you enjoyed that over and over and over. In April of this year, I I preached a sermon series entitled Act Like Men, through which I presented a biblical view of manhood. And as promised, this morning I am beginning a new sermon series through which, Lord willing, I will present a biblical view of womanhood. The goal of this sermon series is, as always to interpret and apply God's Word. In this case, those texts which deal with womanhood. But also a secondary goal. And this specifically for our ladies and our young ladies, I pray that as a result of this sermon series, You will have a new or increased clarity, gratitude, and confidence. That is my goal and prayer for all of you women as we study womanhood. Clarity. That you would clearly understand your identity and purpose as a woman. Who you are and what you're designed for. Gratitude. That your new or increased clarity will result in thankfulness. And confidence. That you would feel equipped inspired and energized to do what God has designed you to do. So as you might expect, the Bible will be our textbook for this series of sermons, not a particular teacher, not a dictionary or encyclopedia, not the university or science or feminism, but the Bible. The Bible, of course, Because the Bible is the Word of God. We can't say that and think about that enough. The Bible is the Word of God. It is revelation from God. The Bible represents and communicates to us the mind of God. So in it, We will find everything that we need to know, in this case, about womanhood. Our text today will begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where we will read about the creation and the commissioning of the first man and woman. And the questions we will be asking this morning are two. And they are, number one, What is a woman? And number two, 
What is a woman for? Number one, what is a woman? And number two, what is a woman for? Now, before I pray, I want to mention something. I am not so naive that I don't know that this morning, outside these Christian church walls, and maybe some within these Christian church walls, that many would deem just these questions nonsensical or even offensive. I know that. We might hear someone say those are antiquated, oppressive questions. What is a woman and what is a woman for? That is antiquated talk. That is oppressive talk. If there is something that we're saying a woman is, then that means there is something a woman is not. If there is something we are saying that a woman is for, then there is something that a woman is not for, which is today an offensive statement. And it is, I know, especially offensive when set out to be answered by a 40-year-old white Christian man with a homemaker wife and six children. I understand that. So the reason many bristle at those questions and the answers is because the predominant view of manhood and womanhood today, what's left of it, has been defined by feminism. Which is, here we go, unbiblical and so poignantly untrue. That means it is in a sad way with sad results untrue. The result of it in regards to womanhood has been the, think about what my goal and my prayer is through this sermon series, the result in regards to womanhood has been the absence of clarity, aimless gratitude and confidence in the wrong direction. So I say all that because I want to encourage all of you, especially Christian women, I want to encourage all of you to think for yourself, to think objectively, to think logically, and most important, to think biblically. The truth is, God made you. God made you with a purpose, and God expects you to be grateful and obedient. To be grateful and obedient. And if, here's a promise. 
If you will be grateful and obedient, you will have all the things worldly wisdom promises but fails to deliver. Namely, liberation. Fulfillment. Joy. Contentment. Satisfaction. Peace. Happiness. That will not be found in, for any of us, doing whatever we want to do. It will only be found in loving to do what God has built us to do. So here's where we're going. This morning will be an overview. Please hear that, an overview of biblical womanhood. And so while I hope it will be helpful in and of itself, it's going to leave a lot of questions that we'll look to answer in weeks to come. It's an overview. And through this overview, we will set out to answer the aforementioned two questions. What is a woman? And what is she for? And in the following several weeks, we'll be taking this overview farther up and farther in. Next week, glory. Week three, marriage. And week four, motherhood. Before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Please bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we read your word this morning, give us clarity. Help us see, help us hear, help us understand. I pray especially for the women and the young women here today that their hearts would be made grateful and confident as they understand your intentions in making them the way you have made them. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have not already, please Open your Bibles to Genesis 1. If you are using one of our church Bibles, you will find that on page 1. This just couldn't get any better today. At this point, a bit more of introductory history will be helpful, so bear with me. The feminist agenda, especially in this country, architected and promoted by women like Susan B. Anthony and Margaret Sanger and Betty Friedan and Gloria Steinem, has consistently promoted casting off restraints, uh, erasing lines and boundaries, rejecting the idea of universal standards, and eliminating Anything that stands in the way of women doing whatever women have wanted to do. And by the way, in the 60s, beginning to loudly tell women what you all should want to do. And all of this promising itself as the pathway to liberation, the pathway to fulfillment. So here is the rhetoric In order for a woman to experience true happiness and fulfillment, she must be liberated to pursue whatever she wants to pursue. You hear this all the time. This is the air that we breathe. 
And then at least, again, since the 1960s, feminism has asserted that what a woman should pursue is a fulfilling career in the workplace. Historically, the primary restraints to be cast off have been primarily God, men, and children. Nothing, ladies, this is true, will slow you down like God, men, and children. And so feminists have fought battles and won, like all of them, have fought battles and won for things like birth control, no-fault divorce, and abortion. And in the church, things like egalitarianism and the ordination of women. Again, here's the rhetoric. God would not stand in your way, even if he made you. A man should not stand in your way, even if he is your husband. Children should not stand in your way, even if they're your own. Not even your own body should stand in your way. That's significant. Not even your own body, not even your own biology should stand in your way, which has resulted in a mother's womb being the most dangerous place on the planet where you have only a one in four chance of making it out alive. Now, this all begs the question, After 200 years, give or take, of feminists pretty much winning every battle, are women today more fulfilled? Are women today happier? I suppose that's tough to evaluate objectively. I could say they certainly don't seem happier. But we do know this. In 1963... 21% of women were on psychotropic drugs, and today 26% of women are on psychotropic drugs. That documented fact certainly doesn't help the proposition that feminism leads to fulfillment. So why this historical snapshot? I do not want this to be the point of the sermon. But why this snapshot again? I say all this to encourage all of you Christian women to consider what you believe about womanhood and why you believe it. To consider what you believe about womanhood and consider where you heard it. Because there are today masses of women who claim to speak for you. But 20 First century American feminism is incompatible with biblical femininity. It's incompatible. So consider, please, consider biblical womanhood. And then if God gives you clarity and gratitude and confidence, pursue and advocate this. Pursue and advocate this. We desperately need 
more convicted, godly, strong women who speak up. And there are, by and large, misunderstandings among Christian women about what it means to be the weaker vessel and what it means to submit to your husbands and what it means to have a gentle and quiet spirit, which all equals in many churches just being a doormat. You're to have a gentle and quiet spirit, not a quiet mouth. And we need more godly, strong, convicted Christian women speaking up. This is what womanhood actually is. And this is fulfilling. Let's get to Genesis chapter 1. Remember our two questions. What is a woman and what is a woman for? And I will be reading Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And then also Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Genesis 1, if you don't already know this, is an overview of creation, an overview of the creation of the first man and woman. And then Genesis 2 is a zoomed-in look with some more details. So let me read first from Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful. And multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There is our overview. Now, Genesis 2 zoomed in. More details beginning in verse 18 through verse 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now to the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib... That the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. These are two very important texts. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons that these verses are so significant is because all of this takes place before the fall. This is taking place before sin entered the world. So what we have here is ideal. This is not a result of sin. This, this obvious distinction 
that we have in Genesis 1 and 2 between manhood and womanhood and this account of God's creation and commission stands. It is normative throughout the entire Old Testament of your Bible, and then it is affirmed and elaborated on in the New Testament of your Bible. In fact, Jesus himself, as well as the rest of the New Testament writers, whenever they're speaking about manhood and womanhood, they will cite these passages more than any other. So let's find the answer to our questions in this text, question number one, what is a woman? There is confusion on what could be a very simple question today. What is a man, for that matter? What is a woman? Are you aware of the confusion over these questions? Let me illustrate it. In 2001, during the 9-11 attacks, Maura Smith was a woman police officer who was responsible for the rescue of over 100 people before she was killed in the collapse of the World Trade Center. I think there were 23 police officers that lost their life. She was the only woman who was killed in the attacks. And she was, rightfully subsequently awarded by Glamour Magazine the Woman of the Year Award. In 2015, that same award went to Bruce Jenner. There's confusion. Promptly, after he was awarded the Woman of the Year Award, That sentence sounded strange to me in my head. (laughs) After he was awarded the Woman of the Year Award, promptly Moira Smith's widower, James Smith, FedExed his wife's award back to Glamour magazine with this open letter. I was shocked and saddened to learn that Glamour has just named Bruce Jenner Woman of the year. Was there no woman in America or the rest of the world more deserving than this man? After discussing this slap in the face of the memory of our hero with my family, I've decided to return Moira's award to Glamour magazine. So what is a woman? What do we learn from those texts that we just read? Well, number one, the woman is created by God. This is glorious, as all these truths are. She is created by God. Chapter 2, verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. This is not just an Eve thing. So too, women, you have been created by God. We were all according to verses like Psalm 139.13, built and designed by God. Women, you have been made a woman, and he has made it fairly obvious 
And you would have to work very hard to hide that reality from yourself and others. I'm not saying people aren't doing that, but you would have to work very hard to hide that obvious design of God. Your gender, women, is not a mystery and it is not a mistake. Woman is created by God. Number two, the woman is created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So too. This is not just an Eve thing. Every woman today is an image bearer of God. James 3.9 says that when we misuse our words toward others, we are mistreating people made in the likeness of God. We are image bearers of God. We have been created in God's likeness. What does this mean? As image bearers, we have very unique capacities, unlike anything else in all of God's creation, including morality, reason, intelligence, Capacity for relationship, complex emotions, creativity. We are, unlike anything else in all of God's creation, and by virtue of our God image bearing, we are worthy of dignity and sanctity. So here is the answer to our first question when we put this together. Woman is a created image bearer of God. Now, that is the same answer to the question, what is a man? The answers are the same so far. A man, you have also been created by God and you have been created in the image of God. And so... Same answer so far for men and women in terms of their identity. This biblical truth, therefore, is the foundation for the equality of men and women. Men and women are created by God equal. Male and female, both created by God. Both image bearers of God. Men are not better than women. Women are not better than men. However, being equal does not mean being the same. Equality does not necessitate sameness. There are enormous distinctions and differences between men and women. And our culture is increasingly, you know this, flattening those distinctions in an effort to promote equality. But that is not necessary. G.K. Chesterton wrote this little poem. If I set the sun beside the moon, and if I set the land beside the sea, and if I set the flower beside the fruit, and if I set the town beside the country, and if I set the man beside the woman, I suppose some fool would talk about one being better. One is not better. Equal but distinct. Equal 
but different. And different in profound ways. In fact, and this leads us to our second question, they are distinct in their function. Men and women are. There are distinctions in their purpose and role in the family, in church, in society. So question number two, what is a woman for? Why did God make the woman? Or what did he design this woman to do? I'm going to give three answers found in this text. And again, we will elaborate on all of these in weeks to come. Here are the three answers, and then we'll deal with them one at a time. The woman is for glory, help, and hard work. Glory, help, and hard work. We'll start with number one. Women are for glory. There is a seemingly insignificant detail in what we just read in this creation account. I might gloss over it. It might seem insignificant. But later in the New Testament, it will be made a very big deal. And that little detail is simply this. The woman was created last. Wah, wah. Last place. Doesn't sound good, does it? No one wants to be last. Okay. Don't make assumptions about that. Don't make assumptions about why she was created last. Don't believe the joke about why Eve was created last. You heard it. Adam was there alone and he was pleading with God in the garden to make for him a smart, beautiful, funny, perfect, fit companion. And God replied that he can do it, but it would cost Adam an arm and a leg. And Adam said, what can I get for a rib? No. Okay. No, no, no. The creation of the woman lasts In this account, she is not, get this, she is not an afterthought. She is not an afterthought. Think about this. She is created last, which does mean something about authority and submission, which we will look at in a couple of weeks. But I want you to consider something else with me. I want you to consider something we will look at closely next week made very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which we'll go to next week. After God, remember, after God created Adam, he said for the very first time, after saying that everything else he created was good, God said, this man alone is, do you remember? Not good. And then God's final creation 
was woman. His final creation was woman. If she is not an afterthought, and she's not, she is God's grand finale. She's the grand finale in the creation account. Mankind created last is the pinnacle of God's creation. And Eve is the pinnacle of the pinnacle. She is the glory of the glory. She is the garden within the garden. When she arrives, the garden gets more beautiful. And Adam responds accordingly. In chapter 2, verse 23. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So Adam first was made to grasp his loneliness, remember, and then God sent him at last a beautiful woman and Adam spoke poetry. That's what this is. He broke out in song. She had been walked down the aisle by God and instantly in God's grand creation finale, the garden and Adam's life was changed and made more beautiful. Creation and Adam were adorned by God in a new and spectacular way and God said, I'm done with creation. Women are for glory. Now, you may not see all that. And you may think that I'm reading into things that aren't there. So we will be devoting an entire sermon to this next week. It is probably the least understood and developed aspect of womanhood in Christianity today. But it is imperative for us all, and especially you women, to understand that you are distinct in your ability to glorify, in your ability to beautify. You make things beautiful. You make things beautiful. A marriage, a home, a church, a room, a meal, a city. You are the glory of the glory. You are the crown of the crown. You are the light of the light. My wife makes it so easy for me to say this. Every man knows this, by the way. Even as I look out, most of you ladies almost look hesitant to nod. I don't know about that. Well, you see what your husbands are doing. They're nodding their heads. All men know this. Men are not beautiful. I know that word is used to describe men, and it always makes me uncomfortable. It's never been used to describe me, but I've heard that described on magazine covers. Men are not beautiful. 
don't know where we got that. Men are not, let me use another word to be helpful. Men are not lovely. Women are beautiful. Women are lovely. Men don't make things more beautiful, more efficient maybe, but not beautiful. Without women, I am convinced there would be no beauty in a city, right, where people are. You would have to get out into nature, into the middle of what God has made to see beauty. But if women did not exist, once you entered the city where humans are creating, and if that was a a creation without women, I'm convinced it would be utilitarian and ugly. You would have garages with attached homes. And you go inside, and there'd be a, a, the biggest TV you ever saw, and a workbench, and a big, obnoxious recliner, and a mini fridge. <laughs> a woman is created for glory. Number two, women are for help. Chapter 2, verse 18, there's no escaping this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone, God's solution. I will make him a helper fit for him. God did not say, I will make him a woman. Woman was actually the title that Adam gave to her. God called her what? A helper, which is, please hear this, not a degradation. That is not a demotion. That's not what this is. For example, we would have a problem with Psalm 3320 if we think that God's saying that a woman is to help a man is a degradation because in Psalm 3320 we are told, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. And over and over again, God is called our helper. Does that mean God is inferior to us because he is our helper? Absolutely not. A helper. Okay, how was she to help Adam? What was she to help Adam do? Well, let's look back at 128 and 215 and let's read what God called them to do. This is what she is to help Adam do. 128. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Collectively, this has been called the cultural mandate or the dominion mandate. This is the, the work that God has given his people to do. What is it? What is the work that God commissions them to do? Work the garden, keep the garden, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue the earth, enjoy the earth. This is made clear. God desires the whole earth to be filled with people who love him and serve wisely as his representatives here on earth. That is God's desire through creation, that the entire earth would be filled with people who love God and serve wisely as his representatives here on the earth. 
The man is to lead in this. He is head. We looked at this back in April, but the woman helps him. And he cannot do this without her. This help is not insignificant. Again, this help is not an afterthought. The man was designed to need this help. This is not give me a hand kind of help. This is give me your life kind of help. When it says that she is a helper, this is not like a couple guys trying to lift a piece of furniture and they can't quite get it over the the, the, the bottom plate of the door and they're looking around and there's no one else and, oh, well, there's a woman and, hey, can you come and give us a hand? That's not what this is. This is a man saying, I cannot do this without you all of the time, all of you until I die. That's the help. And finally, number three, and this may go without saying at this point, women are for hard work. Remember what we just said. What God called the man and the woman to do, to work the garden, keep the garden, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue the earth, enjoy the earth. He desires the earth to be filled with people who love him and serve wisely as his representatives here on earth. There is no harder work. This is challenging. This is difficult. This is by the sweat of your brow kind of work. This is day in and day out, unceasing work. Hard work. And this is not work that is for the men only. This is work for the women. You have been built and made by God to work hard. Now, also, I'd like you to take note more on this again in weeks to come. But I want you to take note where in Genesis and throughout Scripture this hard work of the woman is directed. Where, women, is this hard work to be directed? It's laid out here. It is normative in the entire Old Testament and it is affirmed and elaborated on in the New Testament. This hard work of a woman has a trajectory. It has a direction. And listen, it is the home. It's the home. This is not to say that The place of every woman is the home, but it is to say that the home is the priority. Ladies, you have been built to build a home. You have been designed to make a home. And no one else is equipped 
and qualified and gifted to do that but you. If, again, and this is sad, if that sounds like a degradation, then you misunderstand the primacy and value of the family and a household where they flourish. And if you understood, and I pray you will, the importance and the value of a home, if you understood the value and the importance of a family, you'd understand that there is not a more precious calling. It's so sad we have to give disclaimers in a message like this. But again, we largely think a certain way because we have been influenced to think a certain way. And the influencers have not loved God and do not love God. Proverbs 14.1, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Ladies, if you have a husband and children, there will be a lot in your household to manage if there is not a husband and children yet or any more. Though this will look different, you still must work hard in this direction. You were made to do this. In conclusion... This is really all brought together and seen very clearly in the famous Proverbs 31 text. If you'd like, open your Bibles to Proverbs 31, because I'm going to read through in conclusion verses 10 through 31. This is sort of a famous text. Some of you, when you heard that I was doing a sermon series on womanhood, were probably expecting me to just preach from Proverbs 31. Because some of us think or have thought it's the only text in the Bible that deals with this. There's so many more. But listen, maybe with a a new ear and see this through a new lens. This so-called excellent wife passage in Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. And I'd like you to look for what we just asserted from Genesis 1 and 2, and that is that, number one, the work is hard. And number two, I want you to see the primacy of the home, the family, and a household where they live and grow and thrive and are shaped where immortal souls are shaped in the home. Let me begin in verse 10. 
An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Again, we're listening for the work is hard and the home is the priority. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children... Rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her. In the gates. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that now through the settling of these words in our minds and hearts, that you would give all of us clarity and understanding to understand your creation, to understand your design, to understand your purposes and making all of us men or women. God, help us to not only understand your word, but to accept it. God, not only to accept your word, but to embrace it. Not only to embrace your word, but to pursue it and advocate it. God, that we would become grateful and confident with these truths. That we would not be content to have others speak on our behalf, but that we would say unashamedly that our greatest good has been living for your glory and in obedience and conformity to your word. God, for all of us who surely have things in our own lives and in our marriages and in our families that need adjustment. 
some of us minor, some of us massive. God, help us to see what needs to be changed and give us the grace to do it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.